Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the show. It's me, your friend Chase. Welcome to the Chase Travis Live show here on Creative Live. And you know, normally I launch into this sort of multifaceted, bulleted, awesome set of highlights of the upcoming episode and the guest that's about to be on. And today, this guest really doesn't need any introduction. So I'm going to start off with a story and that's going to be the intro. And the story goes something like this. Back in 2009, when we started this show, we knew we had a tiger by the tail. This show helped kick off Creative Live, which you guys know well, sponsor the show and that online education platform focused on creators and entrepreneurs that I started a long time ago, uh, co-founded with my friend Craig. And Lo and behold, after one of the, it was the second, maybe the second or third class, the first class had like 50,000 people. It was wildly successful. We realized we had a tiger by the tail. And at that point, even way back then, we started having clarity around what would what it could be like if this platform truly had the world's top experts on it and if we could truly connect them to millions of people who were, you know, hoping to live their dreams and career and hobby and in life. And we started making a list of names. Like if we had these people on the platform, boy, it would it would be a sign that we had transcended sort of the smaller version of Creative Live where we were just working with photographers or just designers or, you know, fill in the blank. You know, what would what would be an indicator that we had tapped into the main vision that we had for this thing? And atop that list was the name Richard Branson. And lo and behold, um, fast forward however many years that is now, 10 years, seven years, something like that, seven years. And this is the second, not only the first, this is the second time we've had Sir Richard Branson on this show and and Creative Live. It brings me so much joy to work with someone who is as incredible, just it's like a, a generic word, but it's in so many ways. Um, in aptitude, in attitude, in his ability to create opportunity in business and to create well-being through nonprofits, just an extraordinary human on so many levels. And without going into a bunch of bullets, in this episode, we talk largely about his new book called Finding My Virginity. At the core of this book is the concept of doing things for the first time. And if you're not doing it for the first time, making what can you do to make it feel like you're doing something for the first time? How can you inject interest and joy and surprise and delight? This Our conversation crosses a lot of different topics, which um, in truth help me create and extract more value than than I thought was possible out of a, a conversation like about 45 minutes, something like that. It was just incredibly valuable. And Sir Richard is truly one of a kind, a one of a kind human. And I, I feel very grateful that he is a mentor. Disclosure, he is also an investor in Creative Live. He tapped into what we were doing. And again, it's so weird to make a list some uh, seven years ago and to have it have come full circle. So it brings me great joy to introduce this wonderful conversation between yours truly and the one and only Sir Richard Branson. Oh, before we get into the show, I almost forgot, quick word from our sponsor, this little company called Creative Live. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show Possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best 
of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome. You just got in yesterday from uh, the other side of the pond. I got in from Washington, actually. I was um, trying to see if we could rally uh, the World Bank and the IMF to help the Caribbean that's been uh, trashed from the hurricanes. So, um, and then, of course, I, I came here to watch Virgin Sport uh, do a great performance. And now, uh, and now Sonoma and, and Napa Valley are being trashed as well. So oh. it's a strange... Uh, a strange, the, the, the world is, um, yeah, there's strange forces. At, at, at so work. many, so many strange things happening right now. Your book just dropped. A, congratulations. Thank you. The first one, uh, Losing My Virginity 20 Years Ago this year, I think. Um, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I did want to mention, I like to open the show when I can with um, current events. Uh, most recently, I think it was two days ago now, maybe three, you introduced... Hyperloop One, now uh, in partnership with Virgin, so it's Virgin Hyperloop One. How long has that been in the works? You've got so, so, much thing, so many things going. What, what was the um, that? Well, uh, there's a guy called Sherwin who took me out to the Nevada desert um, some months ago, and I saw this wonderful tunnel um, outside Las Vegas um, where they were test running um, Hyperloop One. And um, and the chief engineer happened to be somebody I knew from Virgin Galactic before. And, um, and it was very exciting. And I'm, I'm in the rail business. Uh, we have the number one rail network in the UK. Um, uh, but our trains are restricted to about 135 miles an hour because of the track. So the idea of being able to transport people at 600, 650 miles an hour um, was, was too good to miss. So. Uh, so Virgin Hyperloop has been born, um, and uh, there are countries all over the world who've expressed an interest in taking it. Uh, it'll transport both freight um, and transport passengers, um, uh, and it'll, I think, trans transform, you know, like cities like, you know, places like Scotland that are miles from, from London, yeah. uh, suddenly there will only be... Uh, 45 minutes away, and, and so it'll make such a, such a big difference in bringing people closer to each other. Yeah, just the fact that n cities that are separated by states or vast spaces were going to be like metro stops, basically, at exactly. 700 miles an hour. Yeah, and it, you know, I mean, actually, technically, if, you, if it's a straight line, you could almost go 1,000 miles an hour. It's just the G-forces 
um, if you've got corners. So, um, but so anyway, realistically, 600, 650, um, which is pretty damn good. Well, Sherwin, uh, founder of Sherpa Ventures. I know Sherwin a little bit. He also early in, in Instagram or in uh, uh, Uber and a couple of other um, investments. Super smart guy. Was that a relationship? I think a lot of folks at home are curious about how that kind of stuff happens. Is it just because you're you and and you've transcended all kinds of different transportation environments that you get you get to be on the inside of this? I or? think we're I think we're lucky that the uh, people trust the Virgin brand, um, uh, so uh, you know, like you know, whether it's Virgin Atlantic, Virgin America, Virgin Australia, um, uh, you know, our, our you know previous transportation businesses have um, been successful, um, and so companies that have got have come up with cutting edge technology, I think, quite like the idea of being associated with the Virgin brand and. Um, so, yeah, you know, we put a, an investment in the company, but the thing that excited me the most was the fact that it became Virgin Hyperloop and, 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 and that, you know, by, as, as long as we put the brand onto products that are exciting, that, that enables us then, um, you know, the next exciting uh, project that comes through, it makes it that much easier for us. Well, one of the things that we serve sort of a, a couple of different audiences here at Creative Live. I think of them in certainly two buckets. One is the bucket of people from zero to one and the people who are just figuring out what they want to do and can they make the leap from their full-time job to do something more entrepreneurial or as a creator. And then there are people who are already identify with, with being a creator. And in, I think you stand as an inspiration to both of those groups. Um, what You've talked a lot about your dyslexia. And I, I surveyed some of the, the folks in our community and said, if you, know, if, if you could sit down with Sir Richard, as I have the good fortune of doing, what would you talk to him about? And that was one of the things I think when people think about moving on in their career, they think about their barriers first. And um, you've talked at length about it in, in other interviews, but I was wondering if you could just put a little context on us. Um, how, what, was it like, what was it like in school? And then how did you, in a sense, I've heard you talk about using your dyslexia to your advantage and... Um, right. How, do you, how should you think about that, or how should folks at home? So it's interesting. Um, three days ago, I climbed uh, a mountain in Morocco, and it was 18 hours up and up and down. And um, so a lot of times on my on my feet, and um, and I talked at great length about dyslexia. And uh, first of all, just the basic name dyslexia is you know why why have they come up with a name that is so negative and so difficult to spell and so difficult to um, to pronounce <laughs> for dyslexic. So by the time we got to the bottom, we thought, um, right, we're going to push alternative thinker uh, as, as the new name for dyslex dyslexia. And, um, and we're going to blog about it in the next few days. So if anyone's got any better names <laughs> for dyslexia, we, uh, we thought we'd, we'd That has to be somewhere. brand new. That I mean, maybe 10 or 20 years old. Probably. They didn't even have the term when you were... No, they didn't have it when I was yeah. young. Um, and um, I think dis anything, it sounds pretty nasty. But yeah. anyway... Um, so, um, uh, yeah, so I think um, I, w I was pr pretty hopeless at school. Um, uh, you know, the conventional education passed me by. Um, and, uh, but I think that was a good thing because, you know, come 15, I decided to quit school and, um, and bizarrely for a dyslexic, start a magazine <laughs> uh, to campaign against the Vietnamese War. And, um, uh, and my dyslexia really helped me become a really good delegator. And I think uh, that's been one of my great strengths. So 
I ha I've had to find brilliant people around me um, over the last 50 years in all the different ventures we've done. Um, and uh, be willing to give them a lot of freedom, um, freedom to do good things and freedom to make mistakes. And, um, uh, and by and large, it's worked. And, and that's freed me up to you know, worry about yeah, um, the know, next Hyperloop one, well, the, the, the next projects, but also just to look after oneself, you know, and look at, you know, spend time with one's family, um, and, and and be ready to troubleshoot when something goes wrong. So, um, so not to get bogged down by the minutiae. And um, and I think the best bit of advice I can give anybody, any entrepreneur, is you know, find somebody better than yourself. Um, uh, you know, give them the freedom to, you know, step into your shoes and then, you know, clear the decks yourself and all those things that you were doing, hand over to them. Um, and then you'll, you'll find very quickly, you know, that the, the desk will be full up with new ideas, which you can then hand over again and, and you can keep doing that. And, um, uh, and, um, and then you can become, you know, a um, serial philanthropist as well as a serial entrepreneur. So let's go back to speaking of entrepreneur, go back to the magazine for just a second, because often people's first projects are indicative of where they're going to go. And, and that was in publishing, right? You published uh, a student magazine. Um, why magazines? And, you know, how did you get it off the ground? I think people are interested in the tactics. Like, yeah. what did you actually do? So, um, so the last thing I thought was that I was becoming a businessman or an entrepreneur. I just wanted to be an editor of a campaigning magazine to campaign against um, the Vietnamese War, which was one of the most un unjust wars ever. In fact, pretty well every war is unjust, um, but this was a ghastly, um, a ghastly war. And um, young people between the age of 15 and you know, 30 were all marching on streets and trying to bring the war to, to an end. Um, and um, I didn't have any money. Um, there weren't such things as mobile phones in those days. Uh, we had a, a mobile phone box at the school um, with a fixed line te telephone. And if you wanted to make a call, you had to keep putting money into the, into the phone box. And, um, and if I, I, I chose the times of day where other kids were not using the phone box to go and ring up advertise, potential advertisers to see if I could persuade them to advertise in my magazine. Um, and there was one occasion where I was putting money in and I, I lost the money and I didn't get through and I rang up the operator and they said, um, oh, don't worry, we'll put you through. So then I started using the operator as my secretary. I just ring up, so I've lost the money and never put any money <laughs> in. And, and so I had this posh, uh, these posh operators being um, put through. I've got Mr. Branson for you. Um, so I, I, I finally had my free, free telephone calls. Um, and I just had to hope that I didn't get the same, the same operator sort of two or three times in a row. Um, and, um, and then I would talk to Coca-Cola and say, you know, Pepsi's just taken a full page ad. I, said, I learned these things, tricks quite early on. And, um, oh, well, if Pepsi are doing it, we will have to do it. And uh, National Westminster Bank, oh, well, if they're doing it, then Barclays would do it and so on. And, um, and when I got about four and a half thousand pounds of advertising, promised I was 15 and from um, huge brands yeah they from big brands yeah I think up. they I think you know there was this young enthusiastic guy but they, actually they wanted to get to young people so 
there wasn't a magazine for young people in those days, so somehow we persuaded them. And, um, and then the headmaster had me in and said, look, um, you either run this magazine and leave school or um, you stay at school and you don't run the magazine. And I went, thank you, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I waved him goodbye. And, and the magazine became my education, and, um, and I suppose I became an entrepreneur by default because I had to you know, worry about the advertising, worry about the distribution, worry about the printing and the paper manufacturing. Um, and, um, and being an editor you know, was important, but, but, it, but, but um, it, it, was, it was at least 50% of the time was being, becoming an entrepreneur a word that didn't exist 50 years ago, um, becoming by mistake. Some French dictionary probably had it in there, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure the French knew what entrepreneur was, but, um, but in those days, every company in Britain was run by government, really. So you had you know, British Telecom, British Gas, British Steel, British Coal, uh, you know, and they were awful, you know, badly run. Um, and, um, uh, and then the, you know, myself, and a woman called Anita Roddick who started Body Shop. Uh, there were just the two of us um, as entrepreneurs. And you know, if anybody wanted to interview a woman, they interviewed Anita. If they wanted to interview a man, they interviewed me. So we got more than our fair share of um, uh, publicity for what we were doing. Uh, and the fact that I was young you know, gave me an added, added advantage too. Um, and, um, and then just one thing led on to another. I mean, I, you know, I found that music was really expensive to buy. So um, I thought, screw that, Let's, you know, we'll, we'll use the magazine to start selling music much more cheaply than anybody else. And of course, we were selling music we liked, so it didn't have, uh, you know, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have had Andy Williams, it would be Frank Zappa, it would be, you know, we'd start having a credit, we got a lot of credibility by the quality of the music we sold. Stones, Sex Pistols. Exactly. And, um, and then we've, we started you know, we, I came across tapes of artists that we loved and nobody would put out. So we thought, screw that, we'll start a record company. And, and Virgin Records was born. And it became the um, most successful independent record label actually in the world with, you know, yeah, um, Janet Jackson's and uh, anyway, a whole lot of, you know, Phil Collins, um, Peter Gabriel, um, Boy George, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and was, a lot, of, a lot of fun. Well, you said two things in there that I want to hold on to. One was that the magazine was your education. So you know, do you, what do you have to say about traditional education? I mean, I, frankly, Creative Live exists because I don't, I don't feel like that the traditional education is preparing people for the future and the future is skill-based and whatnot. And obviously, you're an investor in Creative Live, so there's an overlap there. But talk to me about how you think about traditional education versus just the doing. Um, uh, we, we've, we, 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 one, of the, one of the reasons we started the magazine was because uh, I couldn't stand the education system at school. Um, you know, people left, left school after years and years and years of learning French, but hardly speaking a word of it. Um, you know, people left school after years and years of learning Latin and hardly spoke a word of it. Um, and it was just facts being crammed into you. And one of the reasons we started the magazine was to campaign against the system. Many, many years later, um, you know, we're still having reimagining 
education conferences on Necker Island and things. And, and I just sudden, you know, still think, you know, we ain't sorted the problem out yet. Um, what, what you're doing is tremendous. And, um, and there needs to be more, more of what you're doing. Um, but school, schools, um, you know, still a very fact, fact based and exam based. And um, so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm yeah, determined to see in the, you know, the next sort of 10 years of my life whether we can, you know, really make a difference. And uh, yeah, maybe we'd love to work with you in thinking how we can properly reimagine education and, um, and um, make kids bounce into school, uh, you know, re really being stimulated um, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in a wonderful way. You call yourself a grand dude. <laughs> Got a couple of grandchildren, and uh, as do you think about the world that they'll go to school in, and do you think it'll look anything like the one that we're in now, or how, how do you think about the? Well, I think I mean in in Britain, the education system has not changed that much in the last fifty years. Um, so uh, yeah, and it and it, and, it, and it still needs to, and um, yeah, with four grandchildren all all two years old, um, yeah, I would like to try to get it help get it right sooner rather than later. Right, we're on it. Um, right. And the second thread that you were working off of that I want to pull on is you started with the magazine. The magazine allowed you to sell music. Music trans translated into a record, al a record label. You used the financing, as I understand, from the record label, sale of record label for the airline, and et cetera, et cetera. Is that, a, um, how, is that what you prescribe? Because everyone wants to, not everyone, but the people that are at least listening and watching to the show here, like, they want to find their thing. And that is a question that I hear so often in, in entrepreneurial circles is, how do I know what to focus on? What advice would you give someone who's wondering, like, how do I find my passion and how do I pull on these threads and, and where, where are they going to lead to? Help us understand how you got started and, and how they should think about it. Well, I think, I mean, most, um, most people listening to this show know, know what their passion is. And, um, and, and they may, it could be a hobby. It could be... Um, you know, they could love, love reading, they could love playing tennis, they could, you know, they'll have passions. Um, and if you have a passion, uh, it makes sense to spend a lot of your life in, involved in that passion. Um, and quite often you can turn your passion uh, into a business. You can see um, uh, that maybe there's some aspect of your passion that people are not doing that well. And, um, and you know, you can say, screw it. You know, I, I could, I could, I could, I could do it better, um, and I think all you know, if you, if you spend your life with your eyes open, looking for, um, looking for things that frustrate you, looking for a gap, gaps in the market, um, that's all the business is. Is it, it's fulfilling that, you know, filling in a gap and doing it better than it's been done by anybody else, um, and uh, and. Um, and you know, it, 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 people who don't have closed minds will most likely find find that find those opportunities. Now, I suspect there will be a hundred people who will have come up with that idea before you, um, but those hundred people, um, you know, won't won't have had the courage just to go and do something about it. So, um, you know, so it's the, those few people who just say, right, you know, let, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a go, um, that and often end up. Um, you know, being being successful. You starting small, I think, is another thing that I see. I see people 
um, miss. This is the second time you've been on the show, and we recounted this the the how you got um, started with Virgin. With the you were in Puerto Rico, and I'll let folks go listen to the other show for that story. It's a beautiful story. Um, but you you had one plane. You were an airline with one plane, and I think that's. To me, that's remarkable that the concept of an airline, you, you think of American Airlines or something that has you know, vast fleets of planes. And is, is starting small, uh, Hyperloop One, it's not exactly small, right? There's now you've got this massive vision, but I mean, how do people go from zero to one? Like you, you have to start somewhere and you happen to start with a 747, so it's not like it's the small plane, but is there any advice that you have on getting started? Because I think that first step paralyzes so many people. Yeah, I mean, the rules I set myself was, uh, you know, first, first of all, I was sure that, um, uh, that the airline business uh, stank and it was, it was the, it, you know, the quality was ghastly and, um, and you know, it, was, it wasn't fun and it was, um, yeah, pretty, pretty miserable experience to travel from A to B on British Airways or any of the other airlines. Um, so, uh, so I thought, you know, if we could, throw into the mix um, a plane that was you know, great fun, which was beautifully designed, that had staff that really you know, loved what they were doing, um, you know, where the food was great, where every, the seating was nice, where there were stand-up bars, where the, you know, just, you know, the entertainment was great, uh, that, we, we, that we'd have a chance. We couldn't be sure. Um, uh, and so, first of all, I did a deal with Boeing that so I could hand the plane back to Boeing at the end of the 12 months, um, you know, if I was wrong about this. And that was protecting the downside. So at least I knew the worst that could happen was about 50% of the profits of Virgin Records for the year, if, if, if it all went wrong. Um, and then we threw this one plane in, in against um, Pan Am with 300 planes, TWA with 300 planes, British Airways with 300 planes. Um, Air Florida with a couple of hundred planes, People Express with a couple of hundred planes, uh, British Caledonian with a hundred planes, um, uh, you know, Air Europe, Dan Air, etc. Um, and the odds. Um, talk about the odds. Uh, and we uh, and people loved it. <laughs> um, and you know, I used myself to make sure we got on the front pages of the newspapers, not on the back pages. Um, and uh, and. Come the end of the first year, um, we rang up Boeing and asked for a couple more 747s for Florida and for a couple more routes. Um, and slowly but surely, uh, we grew. And as we were growing, um, British Airways decided they didn't, they didn't like this at all. And um, even although we were, only had sort of four or five planes, and they launched what famously became known as the Dirty Tricks campaign. And, um, you know, we took them to court. We won the biggest libel damages in history. We, we distributed it at Christmas time and, um, and um, it became known as the British Airways Christmas bonus. <laughs> um, and, um, and all the staff were smiling and happy. And, um, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and British Airways backed off somewhat. And, um, uh, and as we were growing, um, Every one of our other competitors went bankrupt. Um, TWA went bankrupt. Pan Am, um, uh, you know, uh, British Caledonia. Anyway, yeah, the whole lot. Air Florida, the lot disappeared. Um, 
And the only reason I think British Airways survived was they had a monopoly of you know, the slots at the main airport. And, um, uh, and, you know, so it is possible for a much smaller company, you know, to be the David taking on the big Goliaths. And as long as you've got quality and you, panache and fun and style, um, uh, you can actually beat them, or at least, yeah, you can beat most of them. And, and that's what Virgin Atlantic did. And the fact that you've, you've done that in so many different industries, is that a method? Like you've always had Apple needed Microsoft. There's always a bad guy. And it was clearly British. There was this crappy service. You talked about the you know, state-run or state-subsidized. Mm -hmm. And you talked about panache and style and, and all these other things. D does, is that a requirement to the dynamic that there's something that needs changing or disrupting? Or is that just the way that you think or build businesses? I think um, it's not a requirement, but I think um, competition is good for everybody. And, um, uh, and you know, having a bigger competitor with a, a fat belly to prod um, <laughs> makes it a lot more fun than um, you know, if you just suddenly had, had a monopoly in a whole, whole new industry. It makes you much more sleek of foot than I think if you were, if you were the only player in town. So 20 years later, you, you uh, have written Finding My Virginity after the Losing My Virginity release. Um, let Matt get a good shot of the cover there for the folks that are watching. Um, explain the concept behind the book, would you? Because Finding My Virginity, I, I thought virginity could only be lost. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm sort of finding my virginity uh, all the time with new new ventures and um, um, my my final book next, um, in another twenty years will most likely be virginity found hopefully i'll finally get <laughs> i 'll finally get there um, but um, uh, but the um, uh, first of all, I think everybody should write a book I, I think um, uh, every single person on this earth has great stories to tell um, which they can share with their Children and their grandchildren, and um, and it, it you know it's a pity that these everybody's life is not is not captured, and um, uh, and the, you know the stories your parents you know, taught you when you were young, um, uh, um, uh, you know um, your, your friendships, everything I think are worth capturing. I mean I've um, I've led uh, you know I've been lucky enough to have a very full on. I think quite interesting life, and um, and therefore I think um, sharing sharing my stories with um, uh, you know with with with, with with others. Hopefully, people can learn something from them. Uh, losing my virginity um, sold millions of copies, and um, uh, and I've met a lot of people who said it affected their lives. They you know maybe dropped everything, started their own business. They've done very well as a result, and. Um, and I hope finding my virginity will have the same sort of uh, effect on people's lives and um, that they will, you know, take a few, few bits from it um, and, um, you know, learn from it. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. Um, I think that's the best way of getting messages across. Um, humor is important. Um, and there's quite a lot of humorous moments as well. <laughs> well, having steamrolled through it in the last 72 hours. Well, thank you for um, doing that. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. And also, speaking of the other books, like 
I've collected um, biographies of amazing artists mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs my whole life. Um, it's, those have been inspirational to me, and so yours, your original book, has certainly did that. This strikes me as a little bit more almost of a leadership book. Um, there's so many, and, and in modern times where we're our own leaders, we're, we're able to start a company with basically nothing. We've got more access to tools and uh, technologies than we ever have before. All these things are democratized. Folks who used to be followers are now becoming leaders, and I feel like leadership is, is, a, is a huge area of growth and opportunity. I myself had to figure out how to be a leader as Creative Live, and turning to you and others, you taught me how to mitigate the downside and whatnot. But what you know, do you have information or ideas or any advice for the folks that are leaders in businesses that you feel like is often missed or ignored, or what has been the key to your success in leadership? Um, well, I think, uh, yeah, a, a, a good leader is a bit like, you know, being a good father, really, um, or a good mother. Um, you know, I think what you do at home and what you do at work um, uh, should be almost, almost one, one and the same. Um, uh, you know, so if you're a good father, um, you, you know, look for the, for the best in your kids, you praise your kids, you, um, you, um, uh, you love your kids, um, uh, and uh, and a good leader is exactly the same. You've got to you know, lavish, lavish praise on the people that you're working with. You've got to be a good listener. Um, make, make sure that um, you know you're, you're you're listening all the time. You're absorbing what what you learn from from the people who you're working with. Um, uh, you, um, you know, I mean, I, I I just hate when I see. Um, Leaders jumping down people's throats, or lording it over people, or um, uh, or not listening, and, you know, hearing their own voices all the time, um, and uh, and it's so counterproductive. And um, so I think the 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 traditional sort of stereotype of um, you know the sort of Dallas, um, if anybody can remember that TV series, sort of leader that tre treads all over people to get to the top. Uh, is the absolute opposite of, of what, what one needs in leaders today. Um, uh, yeah, Trump, yep. Trump, is, Trump, I suspect, is the absolute opposite of what one needs in a leader today. Um, and, but fortunately, that, that's the exception to the rule. Um, you know, most um, you know, most modern-day leaders are, are, are great with people, and, and they bring out the best in their people, um, and therefore they get a really loyal group of people around them. And... Um, uh, to ask somebody to leave a company, you know, uh, it you know, should be so rare. I mean, generally speaking, you can, you know, if you're talking about a company as a real family, you find, a, you find another position for them in, within the company that suits their role better than the one that maybe they're not working out in. Um, and this whole sort of um, uh, slightly more American approach of firing and firing people about too, too readily um, is, is, I think, very wrong. How, how important is vulnerability and, and authenticity to leadership? Uh, you've, you've, you show great empathy whenever you're, you know, uh, I've spent time, a lot of time with you, and you're always concerned about folks, as you said, like firing. Is that a, is, is that something you're very cognizant of, like empathy and vulnerability? You, you share a lot about, you know, being scared in the wine cellar when, 
the hurricane hits your house. Uh, um, just how important is that for folks at home that are? Well, I think uh, about you know. I think I think you need to you know again. Yeah, you need to be human. You need to you know uh, you need to be willing to cry on occasions. I mean, if you know, I mean, you know, when I, when our spaceship went down, you know, I met uh, talk about it in the book. Met the seven hundred engineers and. You know, we all cried together. We all had a big hug together, um, uh, and then we picked ourselves up, and you know, we moved on to create BSS Unity, our new spaceship, which will hopefully get be going up in a few months' time. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, don't be. People shouldn't be afraid of being human human beings, and um, uh, and with all the vulnerabilities that human beings have. This the space component was also really big. I think your, can you talk to me about your fascination with space? Is it literally space in and of itself or is it the concept of space being something that's so vast? And um, that's the next frontier for you besides, of course, Hyperloop One, but why, why space? Why, why you, why um, space? Uh, <laughs> why not, I suppose I would say. I mean, like, I think um, uh, it's uh, something that, um, I would say 80% of the people I meet would love to go to space. Um, uh, um, and it's up to us to produce um, uh, spaceships and um, that, that enable them to go safely and, um, and affordably. And that's the challenge that we've set ourselves. And, um, and you know, creating a space line, it, look, it's fun. I mean, fuck, you know, I mean, like, um, you, you know, you only live once. And, and, and if, 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 you know, if, I did, if, if I'd done nothing else in my life but create a space line um, uh, that, um, you know, could take people into space, I'd, I'd feel pretty chuffed. And, um, and, um, uh, and, and there's a lot that can be achieved through it. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're putting up, you know, 2,000 satellites around the world with, with OneWeb uh, um, as part of, as part of, um, you know, uh, we have we have a company um, called Virgin Orbit that is is um, putting you know putting up satellites and um, and that will make a big difference back here on Earth and um, and because our spaceships are designed like uh, you know they're real spaceships like you know in the shape of airplanes we can you know move it move into point to point travel one day. Um, so it's ridiculously good fun. It'll be great for the Virgin brand, and um, you only live once, and um, it's horribly expensive. <laughs> um, but um, you know, we'll, we'll, if if you can pull off the best in an industry, um, generally speaking, you'll find that um, you'll, you'll get your money back one day. And, I, and um, so uh, you just got to create the best in the first place, which we're, we're nearly there in doing. Well, a final theme I want to explore in the book is that of, uh, you talk about the elders. Folks like Nelson Mandela have been a big inspiration to you. Um, how important is mentorship and a peer group and community to you and, and to building not just a brand, but to a life that you're proud of? Um, yeah, really important. I mean, um, the... Uh, I was lucky enough to get to know Nelson Mandela really well, and um, and you know he has a, a wonderful sense of humour, as as does Archbishop Tutu, who they're both very were both very close, um, and you know building the elders with them, um, uh, you know I think it's one of the most important things that we've done that we, you know my, Peter Gabriel and myself have done in our lifetimes. 
um, and um, and the you know they've you know, it, it, the elders have been going about ten years. They go into conflict regions, try to resolve conflicts. Um, they set up some wonderful organisations, things like girls, girls not brides, and so on. Um, you know, they've spoken out strongly on things like the climate change, and um, so uh, so it's magical being involved with that. And and um, about fifty percent of my time is now spent on not-for-profit ventures, you know, like campaigning against the war on drugs and trying to you know, get governments to treat drugs as a health problem, not a criminal problem, trying to protect the species and the oceans through Oceans Unite and the Oceans Elders, uh, trying to rally businesses to become forces for good and make a difference in the world through the B team, um, you know, getting the Carbon War Room and the Virgin Earth Prize to try to help tackle climate change. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of really, uh, really great people running these wonderful not-for-profit organizations that, um, uh, that, that, that hopefully can make a difference as well. So you've, your chronicles as an entrepreneur are well documented. Uh, and also I'll reference our earlier uh, conversation. Um, it's been very popular. There's a lot of talk about your near-death experiences. Uh, your film had just come out at that time, and so if, if folks want to hear all the numerous ways that you've, <laughs> you've almost done yourself in from ballooning, uh, I want to flip the script in this particular, and, and I think so much of your world is, is, is giant for people and wildly aspirational, but you have to get out of bed just like everybody else. You have to put your pants on one leg at a time. What are some of the tactical things that you do, like maybe for ex example, in the morning, how do you get started with your day? What are some things that you do that have provided a really good life for you? And health is dramatically, you know, really important to you. I know that about it. But. Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I, I mean, looking after yourself, your body um, uh, is the most important thing you can do because if you don't look after yourself, you can't look after your children, you can't look after your wife, you can't look after your businesses. Everything else falls apart. So. Um, you know, so my, the first thing I do in the morning is get up early, um, go and play uh, tennis with somebody that's a, you know, a tennis pro who's better than me, and we, we have a full-on couple of sets of uh, singles tennis, and I'll do the same again in the evening. Then if the wind is up, I'll go kite surfing. Uh, and, uh, and then and I would have all done all that by, by 7 o'clock. Um, I'll then go and have some breakfast. and. Um, yeah, trying to make sure the breakfast is relatively healthy, um, and um, and then you know I'm set up for you know set up for a really full-on day, um, and you know at least once a year, we set ourselves as a family a big challenge. You know so, uh, you can, and we try to raise money for a, a, an organisation for young people that my children set up called Strive, and um, to do with education actually for young people and. Um, so last year, um, the kids rang me up and said, Dad, do you, um, I'm not sure you're going to want to come on this one, but uh, you can if you want to. So foolishly, I said yes. So we started at the Matterhorn. We did an eight-day hike across um, the Italian um, and Swiss Alps. We then did a 2,500-kilometer bike ride through the mountains um, to the from the north of Italy to the southernest tip of Italy. We then swam to Sicily. We then did a marathon. Uh, a, another hike, then a mountain bike, and then a hike <laughs> up to the top of uh, Mount Etna. And, uh, and at the end of it, I felt like a 25-year-old. I had a body of a 25-year-old. 
Um, I've never felt so fit, you know, for, for years. And, um, and, you know, and the great thing is by setting these challenges, you've got to train for them. And, um, and then, you know, last week I, we just went, we just climbed the highest mountain in um, uh, North Africa called Mount Tupkil. And, you know, it's 80, 18 hours on our feet. And, um, and, uh, and you, you curse and swear at the time, but afterwards it just feels so good. Um, so I think setting, setting yourself family challenges or set, you know, just, just every year to just try to set a challenge which you can work towards is a good idea. It's, well, that's well chronicled in here <laughs> as well. Um, so la last point I'd like to, to um, hear from you. that In the last interview, we also, um, I asked you to tell me something you hadn't told anyone else in a different interview and that you struggled with that for just 20, 30 seconds. Then you came up with a great story. You cited yourself as a storyteller about um, um, getting pulled over by a copper. And I'll, I won't, <laughs> you, you pounded a buddy in the stomach and okay. he was ill and you were speeding. I'll, I'll leave it at that, but uh, it was a great story. Um, instead of a, a story that, you, that no one else had heard, um, one thing I haven't heard from you is in, in previous interviews is what, what's the most important thing to you? You talk a lot about building businesses, and you, you, you're so oh, I think, good about yeah, reaching no, out to people. I, I mean, in, in the end, uh, in the end, everything comes down to your, your your family and friends. I mean, there's nothing, you know. That's that's you know that's all that all that matters in the end. And um, so we've been very lucky. You know, my parents were very lucky. They they, they loved each other um, throughout their lives. I've been with Joan for forty years, um, and um, and, and as I told her last week, she's still a sexy beast. Um, and um, uh, and, uh, and it, it, because we're, we're happy together, that has helped, you know, helped with our kids and helped with their relationships. And, um, and you know, my guess is that they'll stay together and, and they're very, very happy and that'll help with their children. Um, and so as a, we've just been very lucky in that way. I mean, obviously 50% of families are not so lucky and then they have to sort of pick themselves up and try to sort of keep keep uh, the, the, those friendships and, the, and, 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 the, and those family together. Um, I'll end with one fun story, um, so my, which I told in the book, but um, my dad, when he was about 86, 87, I took him on a, uh, a hike through Africa um, following the migration of the, of the, of the wildebeest, and, um, uh, and, uh, and, and he loved Africa. It was pissing with rain every day and you know, for a poor 87-year-old to have to get up and go and try to squat down over a hole in the ground in the middle of the night in the pouring rain was not much fun for him. But, um, but anyway, he was, you know, it, was a, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing for a father and son to do. And um, anyway, on the last uh, day, he woke up and he had the biggest smile on his face. We were sharing a tent. And, um, and I said to Dad, um, you, you, did you have a happy dream? He said, yes. Um, I said, did it involve a woman? He said, uh, yes. Um, I said, did you misbehave with her? He said, no. He said, but she misbehaved with me outrageously. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but um, anyway, so uh, yeah, humor, humor is important. <laughs> the book is laced with it. Speaking of sexy beast, you sh you've got to pick up the book. Um, if you're watching or listening, Finding My Virginity by Sir Richard Branson. Um, 
I know we want people to pick up a copy of the book. Uh, I want to say thanks for supporting Thank Creative you. Live, of course. Um, there's another way that I've heard you asking people to get involved, and that's you're building the, rebuilding the Caribbean or doing something to, to help. What is a way, you know, after recent devastation from the hurricane there, is there a particular way that people could, could donate funds or time, or what would, what would an ask be there for the community? Um, well, look, the, there's so many causes that, um, you know, I, I mean, here I'm in San Francisco, and you've got Napa Valley and Sonoma uh, on fire, and there's so many causes for, for people to, um, to help. Um, they, you know, there is a tiny little foundation called Unite BVI that's trying to help re rebuild um, the British Virgin Islands. But you know, we, you know, we can we can put our resources into that. Um, uh, so, um, uh, yeah. So look, just I, I think every, 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 everybody out there have got very important causes that they'll put their spare pennies towards. And um, right now, what we're trying to do is get the. World Bank and the um, IMF, et cetera, to look after the Caribbean as a whole and, and really try to get in there and try to move the Caribbean into um, becoming, you know, being powered by clean energy and, you know, get to help get it back on its feet in a big way. And, and, um, uh, and you know, actually the best thing you can all do is in a year's time, once we've, all, once we've got it rebuilt, um, come and visit us in the Caribbean because... Um, uh, that that will that's what the that's what people are going to need because we need they're going to need to get tourists back. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say a a huge thank you. B let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it if that's a platform that you enjoy. Uh, check me out there as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platform. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.